0: Our next speaker is René Kruiwalt. He's a native of Vienna, Austria in Europe. He's been a member of Fair Mormon for over 18 years and has been instrumental in founding the German-speaking Fair Mormon group. He's a software developer and project manager for a European financial institution. He's married to Gabriela Kruiwalt and they have four children and three grandchildren. His first publication was Mormon Deification, compared to Orthodox Christian Theosis, in the magazine Spirituality in East and West of Dialogue Center International, a Protestant network of organizations engaged in researching new religious movements. More articles, of course, he's written for the Fair Mormon website. He organized four Fair Mormon conferences in Germany, and he's spoken at all of them. So with that, we'll turn the time over to René. Thank you Scott. Um, I want to start with two disclaimers. The first is, my native tongue is German, not English. So if anything I say sounds strange, you know why. The second, um, I was told that my presentation can lead to motion sickness. So if you have a problem with that, just focus on me and not what I present. Uh, Back in the 7th century uh, B.C., the prophet Jeremiah uh, bemoaned that the written documents of his time were not trustworthy. And I will not read everything that's there. You can read it yourself, I hope. Uh, When Samuel the Lamanite proclaimed the signs for Christ's birth and death, the wayward Nephites thought, that the believers would present them with alternate facts. When Jesus was resurrected, the critics claimed his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And don't get me started about Joseph Smith, who he was or not, what he did or not. Fake news, is as old as one guy telling another his version of a story. Nevertheless, over time, things changed. In the early day of Christianity, the book scroll was substituted for the codex. This meant that books, though still tedious in production and expensive to obtain, became more manageable and available to more people. And novels became far more widespread than they were before. This was uh, a major selling argument when uh, Christianity switched to this new medium. But also in this time, uh, historic novels became the rave. We know them as pseudographa and apocrypha. Though less than 10% of the population could read, there was a market for that. In those days, the precursors of new papers came up. They were made by the government, written in stone, but they were still um, news in uh, some way. Later on, writing books was something for the learned and the wealthy, and of course, reading too. Written news only com- came, came, sorry, came from the government that didn't make them true, but consistent. Uh, in the 16th century, the first weekly news were handwritten only for the very intelligent and exclusive club. This changed when Gutenberg invented the printing press. Uh, Many families, for the first time, had a Bible in their home. And later on, newspapers uh, came to be. In the early 19th century, information became cheap. And uh, everybody who had a bit of means could produce his own newspaper. New journalism was made for the masses. This led, of course, to a rise in propaganda. In our days, we are inundated in a mass of blogs, advertisement, partisan texts published almost without cost via the internet. And without cost means without checks. There are hoaxes that are believed to be real and real news that are called called fake news. Academic studies and research are published on the fast track and sometimes the real quality is doubtful. My motivation for this presentation came when, I think it was last year, someone copied the look and feel of mormonnewsroom.org, used a URL that was only a dash from the original, and there published the fake news that President Nelson had uh, apologized for the priesthood ban. Though this was against what I thought to be true, I was fooled and accepted that. It was the first time in 20 years that I fell for a for an internet hoax. And that made me think, how do we know if an information we receive is trustworthy or not? To give a, a few examples from uh, what is more re- relevant to members of the church, a few years ago, someone claimed that modern genetics had proven that the Book of Mormon was true. Another case is that of apostates who think they are called to set the church right because the first presidency has gone astray. And we had uh, Cassandra Hedelius who talked about this uh, and I really like her talk. Before the spring conference this year, The net was full of speculations about changes in the church. One that really got traction was that uh, missions would be shortened. And everybody knew somebody who um, had received uh, a calling with the words, the duration will be uh, only told after general conference. Some members in, in Austria who fell for this were really dismayed not because uh, the time was not shortened, but because they had received this information from someone they trusted. Uh, The majority of baby boomers, millennials, and students cannot discern advertisements uh, from real information. To know what is fake news and what is real news has become very uh, difficult. With Pilot, we may ask, what is truth? How do we discern? How do we evaluate? How do we understand? Ours is the information age. Information is the most important resource, and it grows exponentially. It is too much for everyone everyone to be an expert in everything and to know for themselves. We are a society of specialists at best and specialists in uh, smaller and smaller areas. So, in order to discern we need shortcuts. Shortcuts that uh, help us not use time on things that are probably rubbish. Those shortcuts can help us separate the wheat from chaff, but they're not foolproof. For instance, let's look at peer review. What do other experts in the area say about a certain claim? That can be helpful, right? Uh, On the other hand, an article that didn't go through peer review may contain valuable information. It is possible. Albert Einstein reviewed quantum mechanics with the famous words, God does not play dice, and he was wrong. In fact, there's a logical fallacy called argumentum ad populum. It means that something is considered to be true because of of a majority of relevant people accepting it. Uh, That's peer review, right? (laughs) One could even argue that peer review is a heightened form of an ab autoritate argument. We accept what the majority of peers say because we believe them to be authorities. It has nothing to do with the quality of the argument itself. Nevertheless, peer review can give us a good hint if something is valuable or not. Uh, With the coming of the Internet, uh, we all get, possibly on a daily basis, hoaxes. And when they first came up, uh, people tried to find shortcuts to understand what is a hoax and what not. And this is a typical example. for instance, if uh, there are only relative dates, in this case it's tomorrow, uh, then it's probably a hoax, because we do not know how long this has been gone around. Uh, there's no contact address given. It contains some techno babble uh, which some people won't understand. And a prominent player is called as a source. In this case, it's Channel 13 news. Uh, That's not very specific, right? Uh, But it takes time to read through things and then discern what is true and what is not. So that, uh, and, and while we do that, we need to not be tossed and blown about by every wind. So today I will focus on these issues. How can we assess sources on the internet? What impact can this have on us? And how do we deal with it? Basically, fake news is about manipulation. Someone wants to lie to us, wants to sell us a lie. And we all know that this is hard work to be consistent in lying. Uh, But there are always some hints. For instance, if I tell you a lie face-to-face, either my mimic and gesture will be reduced, Or heightened. Uh, It is also a common fact that uh, much more of our our decisions is based on emotions than we as uh, rational beings like to admit. So if someone can get us to an emotional decision uh, without a rational uh, basis, then this makes selling a lie easier. So that's what uh, those people try to do. They want to shortcut our uh, decision-making process. They are like stake, uh, stage magicians, sorry, stage mis- magicians who f- want to f- uh, have us focus on the uh, left and on the right hand while they do something with their left. To make this more clear, let me share my personal story. I, was, uh, I came to church because my mother was baptized some years before my birth, but she is an Italian. She is uh, very strong in believing, but not very intellectual, and she basically uh, was baptized because she liked uh, the society and, the, and the, the hymns. She's an opera singer. Um, So whenever she got into trouble with somebody in the ward, she would go back to Catholic Church. And if there was a problem there, she would be back with us. So at age seven, I went to church. At age nine, I was baptized. At, no, at eight, I was baptized, sorry. By my brother, at nine, it was all Catholic again. And I had my first communion. I went to altar uh, uh, altar boy school. and served on the altar every day for a year. Then I went to the Vienna Boys' Choir and sang masses in Latin every second week. Um, I, Before going to the choir, I already had read the New Testament. At age 10, I decided to read the Old Testament from cover to cover. At age 12, I wanted to know for myself What about my religion? So I investigated the j I met with Lutherans. I read the Talmud and the Koran, not in Arabic. (laughs) Then I found, when I was 13, I found the Book of Mormon. I read it and I received the testimony. Um, Six months later my parents were on holidays without me for the first time and it was night and I was bored to death and looking for things to do and I found, found my first anti-Mormon book. Had my father simply kept it in his library of 3,000 books, I would never have found it. But he put it under the um, slide projector which he kept in his wardrobe and I wanted to look at some slides. So, this was it, in German. Uh, The author claimed he was an expert because he was a former priest of the church. I read it from cover to cover within two hours and was devastated. There was so much in it that I never heard about before, and it was all bad. My mind raced, my heart raced, and I couldn't breathe. Was my new life of faith built on a lie? I was in panic, and there was no one to ask. Now before I tell you how I dealt with that, uh, let me tell you a few of these shortcuts, indicators, that could have helped me back then. And because this is not 1986 or so, uh, I will elucidate those points from the CES letter, because tactics haven't changed. So first of all, when I said he was a Mormon priest, some of you laughed. That's right. You should laugh. Because if uh, the audience uh, is Catholic, as is the majority in Austria, then a priest is um, a grown-up man who has a university degree and years of uh, priest seminary. He is somehow an expert in his religion. But a... Member of the church, an adult member of the church, who is a priest, is either newly baptized or he went inactive before he turned 18. So the credentials were a bit overstated, like with Dr. Walter Martin, if someone still knows him. Uh, The other thing, I already mentioned it, I call it the one million pin pricks." Um, this is a favorite technique to make someone panic in order to get an emotional reaction and decision. Do you remember when in school or university, you had to read something and it was that big, and you went into dummy mode because it was so much to read? In German, we call this document shock. document shock. I don't know if this is a word in English. Um, The same overload can happen if uh, the words that are used are totally foreign to you, or if the concepts are foreign to you. You go into dummy mode because obviously the author knows something you don't. You will probably accept what he says without being able to think it through. It's too complex. So let's combine this. We take lots of paper with lots of information you have never heard before, and they may be totally empty, nonsensical. But the simple mass combined with never heard of it may lead you into trouble. The ex-Mormon anthropologist Uh, Manuel Prado wrote not too long ago. Can we get this better? No, sorry. Then I will have to read some of this. Basically he's saying, and this is on Quora, uh, he's saying that uh, the technique, uh, the tactic is about being bombarded with questions uh, you don't know how to answer. And he later says that doesn't mean there are no answers, just that you don't know the answers. It's a documented tactic used by, among others, Lighthouse Ministry and CARM in his youth, now by Mormon Stories, Life After Ministry, Mormon Think, a number of other groups. It's an abusive tactic to coerce you into a situation where they can bombard you with doubt-provoking questions that cause your resolve to collapse, your identity to fall apart. It's an act of psychological rape uh, they humiliate you and pressure you with questions. Uh, it works because there are so many questions, not because they are so good. That's how the CES letter works. It's garbage, but it's a common strategy. So, how do you get that many questions without value. Let, let's look at that. I call it factoids. And if you see factoids in a text, forget the text and be careful. Uh, I once res- listened to an Italian radio station and I speak Italian like a two-year-old, because that's when my mother stopped uh, talking Italian with me. Um, so I have to listen carefully, and I didn't do that in the first. I mean, who listens to radio, right? And. Um, The announcer was talking really, really fast, and I wondered how he could do that, so I listened more carefully. And basically, every second sentence was literally la-la-la-la, la, 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 la." nothing more. But it sounded extremely good if you just had it in the background. You didn't notice what he was really doing. Uh, So those are factoids, words without meaning. Let's look at an example. Uh, so this is from the CS letter, and the argument here is um, the Book of Mormon uh, copies text from the King James Version, and uh, it has uh, the words that are italicized in the King James Version. And it has them plainly in the text without uh, any indication. Uh, the italicized words here, they are bold, are not in the original text, in the original language, thus Joseph um, did something unspeakable. Now, let's look at this first sentence, the first line basically, and we leave out the bold words. It says, nevertheless the dimness not such as in her vexation. Oh, that's not an English sentence, right, right? Uh, Probably it reads better with a Russian accent. Nevertheless, Joseph had no chance of not having those words in it and still having it an English text. So that's just a factoid. It has no meaning, it's just words on paper. Uh, oh, so you had, there was a chance for you to see it better, sorry. Um, I'll leave out this part. Another thing, um, I'm using Prezi here, it's not a PowerPoint. And I started using it with uh, institute um, classes I gave. I noticed that the sooner I used those, uh, this kind of visualizations, the sooner I got the attention of uh, the students. And they wouldn't ask uh, much about the contents. They were fascinated by the presentation. Now this is always a danger. If someone uses uh, tables, visuals, charts, uh, then we often go into dummy mode again. We say, he must have used much time. So he must know what he's doing. You have this in in, uh, business uh, too. Uh, Sometimes you produce that much of paper and you know the management will only, only read the first page. But you need to have the rest so that they believe that you used your time on it. Uh, so this is the same here. Uh, it is not bad to use visualizations. Don't get me wrong, but is, it is an invitation to dig deeper and not just simply accept it. Uh, one-sidedness. We heard about one-sidedness um, y- yesterday, and I just want to highlight this with uh, one part from the CS letter. Uh, where it is about Book of Mormon geography, and uh, the CIS letter there quotes uh, or, or brings up the Vernal Holley map. It was created in 1983 in an attempt to explain uh, the city names in the Book of Mormon and the location of those cities um, by pointing to contemporary maps uh, from Joseph's time. Uh, it was debunked almost immediately. It is simply rubbish. Uh, and the CS letter uses this, and uh, Ronalds knows that it is rubbish. He says here uh, he's about 90 to 95% on removing this section because it's so bad. It, the argument he says, let, uh, says, he says later on is rather meh. Uh, and then he says he would only probably keep it in the letter with a disclaimer of some sort, basically saying something to that effect. Now, I downloaded the CES letter this week, I didn't find a disclaimer, and still the argument is in there. Why? Because it's an easy way to paint a bad picture. So if something is very one-sided, be careful. Next thing. Uh, let's assume someone tells you they found this, uh, this sign, uh, and it is uh, f- from back then, it's a Mayan sign, and it says, City of Saramla." What would you say? My gut reaction would be, too good to be true. And I don't mean, this is a bull's eye I've never seen happening, but rather, cannot be true, it's too good. So, when I heard about the claim about geneticists uh, proving that uh, the Nephites, uh, the the Lehites, came from uh, Jerusalem in 600 uh, BC, my reaction was too good to be true, cannot be true. But of course, the other side is also possible. Too bad to be true. Uh, Some of you may remember. Uh, when, a few years ago, uh, lead table was found uh, that uh, allegedly came from John D. Lee, saying uh, Brigham ordered the Mountain Meadows Massacre. Those in the know, the specialists, reacted with, cannot be. Too bad to be true, and it doesn't fit the history we, we know already. So, if something is too bad to be true, Don't say, well, it must be true. Say, probably it's not. Uh, Next thing, how does a text manage your emotions? We will get closer to that one. What about the emotions? Um, Does the, the argument sound good enough even if I keep my emotions out? Does it raise emotion? How is the text constructed? In this case, CS letter, first vision, Uh, the author knows there is no smoking gun against the first vision. Nevertheless, uh, he has to prepare the reader. He does this by quoting uh, President uh, Hinckley uh, with a statement that basically says, everything stands and falls with the Book of Mormon. So the reader automatically assumes that now comes the smoking gun. Uh, Stakes are high, readers capacity to reason may be reduced already. Next we are told that there are four accounts the church admits to uh, and there could be more and the church did this not earlier than 2013. The implication is the church lied until it could not uphold the lie anymore. It is not open, it is not honest, while the church actually has been publishing uh, the last of the four accounts, uh, starting with 1972, I think, uh, the reader goes away with the assumption that the church is very late to the party. So then, Ronald deals with 15% of the 1832 account and writes conclusions and questions and concerns about it that are, that are a lot longer than the original account itself. The questions are designed to raise negative emotions, and Runnels provides the most negative, damning answers. Uh, Also he makes the following conclusion. As with the Rock in the Hatch story, I did not know, and then everything comes up, he did not know. Now I can write books about what I do not know. But uh, the rock in the head story is already emotionally uh, sensitive. So again we have an emotional link to another story uh, to make people unsure. Uh, And he blames the church for not being upfront, not having the missionaries teach different uh, First Vision accounts. Uh, But obviously it's reasonable not to teach a complete history course in five uh, discussions, right? That's normal. Um, But the stage has been set. The reader goes away with the church didn't do its duty. Okay, another example is Joseph Smith polygamy. Uh, So, I think you can read it. Uh, Technically, uh, what we see here is correct. There were seven uh, girls under the age of 20 among the women Joseph was sealed to. Uh, But only uh, two of them were a few weeks short of 15 years. The rest was uh, 17 and 19 years old. The picture painted is wrong then he says, all of this is shocking. But in reality, uh, it is only shocking to modern sensibilities. In 1880, for instance, the age of consent was set at 10 or 12 years in most states of the US, with the exception of Delaware, where it was seven years. And uh, there was no minimum marriage age back then in most states. So I take this from uh, uh, Wikipedia, and it tells us that between 2000 and 2015, 31 guys over the age of 60 married underage girls in the U.S. Also, Reynolds leaves out the fact that there, were, there was a, a woman that was 78 years old when she was sealed to Joseph. Why does he leave it out? Because it doesn't fit the, uh, the picture of a sexual predator. Uh, next claim is uh, that Joseph coerced these girls. We know they are all 14-year-olds, right? Uh, because he says that he would be killed by an angel if they would not marry him. And then this is likened to Warren Jeffs. Again, this is an emotional argument. Warren Jeffs, who is seen and is a predator. The reader is left wondering, how could Joseph convince them with such a phony argument? Probably this thought process comes into play. He brainwashed his followers. They were idiots possibly it was because they were minors, the intelligent reaction would be to vote with your feet. And that's what I'm going to do. So that's what's happening. But this uh, retelling does not do justice to the women in question. Uh, The story about the sword comes from, the angel with the sword comes from Mary Elizabeth Rowlands and I like what she has to say about how she felt when presented with the question. She asked if this really was an angel of God or was it probably a a devil? She didn't believe it, and she wanted a witness of her own. If God told you that, why does he not tell me? That's a natural reaction. Yes, in this story you have to believe in angels, but it's a natural reaction. These are people we can feel with. Uh, And uh, Joseph doesn't say, well I'm the prophet, so hush and marry me. Uh, No, he says, pray for it. I know you will see the angel. And she does. Uh, By the way, uh, as far as I've understood, and I'm not the expert here, uh, Brian Hales is, uh, there were no sexual relations, likely no sexual relations between Joseph and Mary. So uh, we we can say it's not about the sex as opposed to what uh, Runnels wants us to believe. In this retelling there's no reason to feel superior to Mary Elizabeth R- Rollins and the others. There's no reason to leave. Back to my story. I said I was in panic. I didn't know what to do. And last conference, Uh, In the presentation by um, uh, Jared Giles and uh, Steve Densley, we heard much about how uh, our uh, psychological state um, can influence our beliefs or or, or our ability to believe. Uh, They also talked about cognitive dissonance. And I think that this panic that I felt back then was cognitive dissonance or uh, induced anxiety in an otherwise not anxious person. Now, what does happen? Uh, I like to read fantasy novels and uh, in one very well known there's this wizard's first rule which basically says people will believe a lie because they want to believe or because they are afraid it might be true. So if someone gets you to fear that he might be true, that what he says might be true, then half of his job of convincing you is done. Thus, fear leads to the dark side. So in this case, be doubly critical. Let me tell you something about panic. Panic is a state where where your body needs to act fight, or flight, or freeze. But it's not a state of mind where you can reason very well. I'm a beekeeper. And I had one uh, hive last year that was very aggressive, which means the bees tried to find the uh, CO2 source and sting there, the nose usually. So how does this look like? That was me. Uh, one month before the events that I'm now talking about. It was one bee. Um, now I was working on this hive with my family and uh, the bees would come in every, uh, every two seconds and try to sting. But there was this veil and the veil kept me safe until I noticed that there was a bee in the veil. And I panicked. And uh, while working, I stopped, and I pulled off the whale in front of this hive. Um, I went away with 14 uh, stings to the head. If I had not reacted in panic, I probably uh, had one at most. So, panic is not uh, very good for decisions. Uh, So, um, how do we get in panic and why? It's because we uh, care deeply about the topic. And our religion is a, a topic we care deeply about. It's about who we are, who we are in relationship to God, and who we are in relationship to our families. That's very important to us. And then, there comes this negative impact. And we could fear that there's something that endangers our families, our relationship to God, ourselves. So that's when panic may come in. And the usual reaction to that is I've been lied to. Basically because we do not think that we could not have learned something that we have not done our duty. Someone else was responsible for not giving us the information. It's a natural re- reaction, but of course it's wrong. I am responsible for my knowledge. I am responsible for my salvation. So, whenever we deal with uh, information that lead to decisions, we need to make sure that we have a lid on our emotions first. And in DNC's 9.7-9, uh, we are told that we need to study things out in our mind. And after that, after studying out, we go to God and ask about revelation, which may come as an emotion too, but it, we do not start with the emotion. So how did I do it back then? Uh, I was alone, nobody to ask, nobody to call, because it was in the middle of the night. So I went to my knees and I said, Father, what do I do now? And the answer was, take out your Book of Mormon, read a chapter. Okay, which one? Doesn't matter. So I read one chapter and I became, became more calm, but it didn't answer any questions. So I asked again, now what? Okay, take that book. Try to find something in the book that you know about, and see if it's portrayed correctly or not. If the description is correct, the rest may be true too. But if not, why would you trust it? So I looked, and I found the book lacking. That's when I decided to never be caught unawares ever again. And it's uh, brought me on this journey of being an apologist, uh, of trying to get to know the basics of everything they throw against us. Now, what are my uh, takeaways? Calm down. If you're affected emotionally, calm down. Give it time. Be patient. Don't study material that uh, needs your brain intact if you're ill, hungry, angry, or a combination. But give it thought when you are at your best. Uh, Check what you can check. This may include checking how someone deals with his sources. It may include uh, looking at things that you already know. Uh, Look at quotes. Are they good or are they manipulated? And last of all, no not last of all, the most important point though, do it one point at a time. Grab one issue and go to the bottom of it. What is the implication? What if it is true? What does it really mean to me? What if it's not true? What is the potential of the thing? What is the meaning? Can it be true? Go down to the sources. Check it out. Give it time. And only then, when you are satisfied with what you found out, go to the next point. Uh, There was one point I I was uh, working on for three years to find out that the church had the right facts and that the accusation was wrong. Give it time. You have it. Don't look at the whole picture in this case because the whole picture is designed to mislead. Look at every single detail and then make a picture of it. Sort the claims by priority. Deal with the most important things first. Last thing, don't become consumed. Don't neglect your duties. Don't neglect yourself. Don't neglect your family. It's not that important. And if you neglect the the important things, your decision-making abilities will be hindered. This journey has taken a large part of my adult life so far. I've learned more about the church, its history, and its scriptures than I thought was possible at age 13. You know, 13-year-olds think they know it all. And I've uh, learned to appreciate the giants, academically and uh, spiritually, on whose shoulders I stand now. The prophets, their wives, and my personal heroes of apologetics and scholarship. Studying with diligence and keeping my emotions in check has broadened my understanding of the gospel, of history, and of doctrine. It has brought me to my knees in prayer and strengthened my testimony. I wish you a safe journey through the depths of information and the shallows of misinformation. Thank you for listening. So this is not a question, but it's a good one. Definition of factoid, as I've always heard it, a statement reported often enough it becomes a fact. Well, I say there's no need to re, uh, report it, uh, repeat it again and again if someone believes it. Are there any methods used by those who attack the church that those who defend the church would be wise to adopt? Um, uh, uh, the defending is something totally different from attacking. Uh, It's easy to say, and I'm I'm just quoting someone else, it's not my invention, today he stopped beating his wife, though this person never uh, did beat his wife. It takes hours to contradict this statement. So probably the only uh, thing that we could use more, and it's dangerous, Uh, is to give uh, funny and probably a bit snappy answers. The problem is that it's a, a thin margin to snark, and then that is not good. Why would an angel tell Mary to marry Joseph? Well, first of all, I would like to make a distinction. It was not about marrying Joseph, it was about being sealed to Joseph. And uh, though I do not have the time to expand on this, and there are others who can do this better, this is a vital distinction for me. But why would an angel say that? Well, because God ordered it. Uh, aside from that, I don't know. But as Brian Hales once said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, if you're in doubt about that, good. Pray about it, study it. Try to find your answer, it's your Abrahamic test. Please tell me again what software you used instead of PowerPoint. Um, um, is this uh, advertisement that I'm not allowed sure. to make? No, you can say Okay, it's prezi.com and it's uh, free for private use. P R E Z I.com. Don't say Z here, they say Z here. Z, okay, sorry. <laughs> Uh, What do you say to the anti-Mormon idea that spiritual experience are a result of being socialized? Well, basically um, there's a truth in that and there's a lie in that as always. Uh, The truth is the way we experience uh, the spirit is personal, but also socialized. I think it was uh, Sister Ulrich, who in a um, a Fair Mormon talk, said that uh, she had uh, met with an investigator, uh, a girl who who said that every time she uh, reads the Book of Mormon, she feels cold. And I hope uh, I'm not mixing things up here. And of course, feeling cold is not something that we associate with feeling the spirit. Uh, But it was exactly this for this girl, for whatever reason. Um, so, emotions, every emotion we have is socialized. When we talk about love, uh, someone from Japan feels something different than someone in, uh, in America. And uh, probably there are differences also in, in how individuals feel based on how they were raised in their family. I know of enough people who cannot feel love at all. They do not know what this means. And every time they hear, I feel so loved, they they say, what are you talking about, right? So, um, there is a social thing in everything that we feel. Uh, But my testimony is not built alone on feeling something, but actually Um, I have seen things happen, I have seen, uh, I've uh, experienced that the Spirit told me some things and there was a feeling associated with the knowledge that came and with the words that came and the promise was kept immediately and unbelievably for someone who doesn't already believe. And I don't want to expand on these sacred experiences, but I know that God is not only in my head, but of course, he uses the hardware that I have. So thank you.